You might have thought about bankers as boring or heard the old jokes about bankers' hours. Well, few industries have been changing as quickly and dramatically as retail banking. Our guest is part of the new wave in banking, a young yet experienced marketer who now has a unique view of the industry as a senior vice president with the American Bankers Association. And her point of view is valuable for any professional services provider who can't afford to be lost in the crowd. It's Shelley Lofton on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. I'm Jim Carr. Here each week we discuss three foundational components for growing your business. First, your message, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want to share. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. We know it's just a lot easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Those everyday business conversations can especially be the way to stand out in a crowded or commoditized industry. For example, retail banking. There is a tremendous number of banks and non-bank financial institutions that offer very similar products and services. Our guest is a rising star in that world and an expert in how banks across the U.S. are using marketing and messaging to stand out and grow, or at least how they should consider using marketing and messaging to stand out and grow. Shelley Lofton is the Senior Vice President of Retail Banking and Payments and Lending for the American Bankers Association. It must be a very impressive business card. We'll ask her about it. As Shelley puts it, she lives in a world of branding, banking, and boys. Her first bank job came at age 15. She worked her way through the retail side as a teller, then customer service rep, then financial services representative, and then went to the marketing side of banking. Shelley worked on branding, marketing, and retail at various community banks, then was chief administrative officer at Bear State Bank. Not long ago, she joined the American Bankers Association. She believes banking and education should be, quote, fun, simple, and helpful, end quote. And she is a mom to two young superhero boys, as she calls them, a self-described cultivator of member happiness. In my opinion, Shelley may be among the happiest bankers in America. Shelley Lofton, thank you for joining the Manager Message podcast, and let's make it fun, simple, and helpful. Well, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate that introduction. Hopefully, I can be as happy as you expect me to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we take a, a pretty big look here on the podcast at marketing and messaging. We have had already as guests, we've got best-selling authors, coaches, former FBI chief hostage negotiator, an orchestra conductor, a former NFL quarterback, a former CNN anchor, sales experts. You're our first banker, I believe. You know, some people might think about bankers as being kind of commoditized and boring, but I think that assumption should be long gone. There are very few industries that I've seen that are more ubiquitous or being transformed more quickly as the banking side. 
Let's take a quick snapshot of the banking industry uh, at a very high level here, a decade after the financial crisis. And if you took a look at the dashboard, I would think overall, Shelly, it looks pretty good. Net interest margin, kind of the operating margin for banks is up. Loan volume is up. The financial technology upstarts, the fintechs, have had a big impact on consumer borrowing and finance. Consolidation, m and picking up again. Just saw recently announced merger of BB&T and SunTrust, which I think would make about the sixth largest bank in the U.S. It's the biggest deal, I think, since the financial crisis. So when you're at these American Banker Association conferences, when you're speaking with bankers across the country, what are they seeing? What are they looking for growth these days? Are they trying to find new customers? Are they trying to sell more services to their existing customer base, expanding the portfolio, all of the above? What are you seeing? Sure. And I think you're exactly right. There is a lot of metrics for the community banks that we're talking to. There's a lot of things that are going really well. And at the same time, as with most industries, at the same time things are going well, there are things bubbling to the surface that you know need to be corrected, improved upon, and transformed. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that in banks. Loan growth, as you mentioned, is going so well now that a lot of banks are shifting their focus to deposits. And we haven't seen a banking market in a while where there's been a huge focus on deposits. So growing those deposits, maintaining them, preserving their cost of funds while still remaining competitive in their communities is a huge challenge for banks right now. And that's a lot of what we're hearing. You know, community banking in general plays is such a backbone of the economy within these small communities. And they play such a critical role from giving customers their first loan for a home to financing commercial structures to helping with small businesses. And and it takes all kinds of kinds of these banks. So depending on what their strategic focus is, is kind of what's driving the conversations that we're having as we're out and about in conferences. Some of the key areas in particular that I've seen that we keep having conversations about are, you know, the retail customer experience, again, going back to deposit growth, various things around data integration, how you treat it, how to use it, and how to get to it, talent and regulation. And there are all sorts of kind of subtopics within each of those topics. I mean, if you're focusing on the customer experience and your goal is to drive growth and profitability, well, what do those products and services look like? And do we have the technology that we need to build those products and services? How do we integrate those into our branches? How do we teach our front line how to sell different products and services? And where do we even get started to compete with someone like a fintech who doesn't have the infrastructure that we currently have as a community bank? So there's all these questions around the customer experience that keep coming up, but that also lead into all these different areas. So it's such a connected, it's a connected conundrum almost. I mean, you want to build the bank of the future, but you've got to continue operating and operating responsibly and profitably within the infrastructure that you have now. And data 
is another huge topic that bankers talk about consistently. We have so much data at our fingertips, but we also have so many systems within a bank's infrastructure that don't necessarily talk to one another. That makes it complicated to get the information that people need in order to make the decisions about how best to drive that growth and profitability. So you also have to know what kind of data you have available when you're looking at how you improve and move forward with your products and services. So if you want to partner with the FinTech, do you have the technology infrastructure that you need? Can you get them the data that they need to make the investment or the partnership worth it? And both of those, the retail customer experience and kind of wrapping your mind around how you treat data, also bring up another problem or another topic that keeps coming up, and that's talent. I mean, what does the banker of the future look like from a talent perspective? We already expect so much of a lot of our frontline team members, and now we need them to be so well-versed in digital and all these mobile capabilities, and as well as personal finance and be advisors to our customers as they come in and need help. So how do we train our staff for all these varying needs, and how do we use that to build out, you know, kind of the branch structure that we need in the future? And then the gift that kept keeps on giving for bankers that will, I think, never not be talked about in any formal setting is regulation. Regulations come and they go and they change and they get more complicated. And all of that has such an impact on a community bank because it drives your focus internally. You know, regulation and compliance is kind of the block and tackling, the blocking and tackling of banking. You have to do all of those items right so that you can open the doors and serve your customers to the best of your ability. And so the more regulations come, the more infrastructure you have to have, the more human capital you have to dedicate to monitoring those different rules and regulations. So regulatory topics and changes remain and I think will always remain a hot topic in the financial sector. And Shelley, you've touched on a lot of important overlapping circles here in terms of system integration, talent, training, regulation. It also, again, strikes me that there are a lot of lessons here for almost any sort of service business. As you say, the regulatory piece is the gift that keeps on giving in the uh, banking industry. Mergers, uh, pretty common in banking and not just at the huge bank level, uh, but at the community bank level, that's picking up again. It's a natural way As banks look at deposit growth and more customer relationships as a growth strategy, you know, you can do that organically or you can go out and buy deposits, right? You can uh, have that acquisition. But it's also difficult, I've seen in practice, when you start bringing the brands and the messages and the people together so that you have a consistent voice, especially customers of the acquired bank, they're coming into the fold you want to keep them around. You don't want them flying out the door and you want something that when you put the pieces together is more valuable as a whole. So are you seeing any particular headaches 
and you're seeing any particular good examples or practices out there across the banks that you're seeing in terms of integrating both from an operational way, but especially from a messaging and marketing sense? What a great question. And you're absolutely right. What a difficult job it is from a merger and acquisition standpoint to merge people. It is typically the systems part of a merger and acquisition that gets the most attention, but the people aspect of it, in my opinion, is the absolute most difficult and most crucial part. It is also funny that you bring that up. I have been on both sides of mergers and acquisitions, both the acquiring side several times and the acquired side most recently. I have a unique perspective having been on both sides, and I'm grateful for for all of those experiences because they've taught me so much about it. And they've also reiterated what I thought from the beginning, but you're never sure until you're actually there, that people are the most important piece of whether or not that is going to be successful. At my core, I'm a marketer. And I mean, I am the most passionate in particular about branding and culture and how those translate internally and externally and how you link them to strategy and profitability. I believe that the most profitable and healthy institutions have a very strong sense of who they are and have a very strong brand that is also incredibly human. And that empathy is a key in the success of MA activity because, again, people are people. And these transitions are huge changes for people. And people spend a lot of their time and effort and energy at work. And I think it's important as leaders that we remember that and that we realize that they're spending a lot of time and effort and energy with us. And so, The least we can do is clearly communicate as often as we can, even if what we are communicating is that there's no new news to communicate. The more often that you can re-emphasize that to your teams as the process is going, in my opinion, the better. Again, assuming the goal is to retain customers and employees when you go through a merger and acquisition, then the key to that happening and being successful is hands down communication. And as much as you can tie that to your branding, which should naturally be occurring anyway, but I found in a lot of organizations, there can be even silos between internal communications and branding and marketing, which, you know, to me are two areas that should absolutely be together. Your message inside should inform and and push forward through your message outside without question. We're talking about deposit growth and, and in a lot of cases it's less expensive to acquire those deposits right now through acquisition than it is to try to earn a new customer. That's how the industry has been going for several years now. And so a lot of people are looking at this MA activity to build up their deposit base. And as for examples as to who's communicating with their customers really well, I mean, naturally, I feel like I have to say that, you know, being involved in detail with the Bear State acquisitions, that, you know, as Bear State acquired several banks, 
we got better and better at communicating. And part of the reason I think that I feel like we were effective in communicating throughout those mergers and acquisitions is that we learned from what we did every time. And we had no issue owning up to what we overlooked or what we messed up and making sure that we did it better the next time. And so I think when you've got a team of people that are committed to doing it right, but learning from what they see after the fact that could have been done better, then your communications are just going to get stronger and stronger. So I feel like Bear State did a good job with it, which of course Bear State doesn't exist anymore. They've rolled into Arvest. I would say Renaissance Bank, a mid-sized regional bank out of Mississippi, has an incredibly strong brand and they do a great job of cultivating and keeping their brand image intact as they manage M&A. They do it very well. Center State Bank is another one that comes to mind that does it very well. Seacoast Bank out of Florida is another one that has a strong brand that manages the process of those mergers incredibly well. I'm imagining, and from those examples, and you see how it works, all the way from the pre-planning, the whole conception of we're going to make an acquisition, we're going to bring this into the fold, here's how it's going to work into the implementation that there's a bit of a playbook approach. You kind of get something that you look back on an acquisition and how that went and say, we probably did you know 75% well, and we're going to keep doing that part. The 25% that maybe not so good, as you said, continue to hone that. Let's talk a bit about the kind of the customer relationship side, even in a digital age. And we can talk a bit about the digital side of things, which is certainly increasingly important in the banking world, it's still today that the vast majority of word of mouth happens offline in just the normal everyday conversations that people are having in branches, but also, you know, at ball games and in their communities and person to person. You've been a teller, you've been a financial services representative, you've been a marketing leader. Talk a bit, if you will, Shelly, about the customer conversation and how difficult it can be to keep everyone on the same page, especially when you have these organizational changes happening? Sure. Going back to the human element, the human element is the most complicated and important part of these transactions. And when you're in the middle of them, when you're in the weeds, it is so easy to forget that you're making decisions or pulling levers, so to speak, that affect a lot of people around you that you don't necessarily see the consequences of if you're not on the front line. So one of the most important things that I've always done to try to just keep keep my eye on the ball and keep that customer front and center is I'll post little reminders around my office. I actually have one on a mirror at home that I got one of my first days on the job at First Federal before it came to their state and somebody had put it in a suggestion box. And it's a little handwritten note and it just says, people shut their doors of their office and pull levers that they don't know how it affects people. Never do that, please. Wow. I've kept it because having been on the front line for years and never really understanding why some rules or regulations would be 
you know, enforced or why things would change the way that they did, it made an impact on me because I didn't know a lot of the executives when I was a teller. I didn't know who they were or where they even officed within our building. And I never wanted to be that person because you're the front line to your customers. They're very important. So, you know, they would always laugh at me at Bear State because I would go work the commercial window when I would go into branches as much as I could because the customers and your frontline employees, they see the hard stuff. They see and deal with any issue that comes up, regardless of if you had thought it would be an issue. So it's really hard to keep people on the same page. But I know one of the things that I've seen work well that we used to do is just to share an individual story. You have to showcase the humanity of it. And and a lot of times in boardrooms and executive meetings, you're dealing with a lot of numbers. You're looking at total deposits and which area is doing what and how those numbers are shifting But I would try to interject just a story that we had heard from a customer. We surveyed our customers regularly so that we could get a feel for what they liked and what they didn't like and what was going well and what wasn't going well. And so we would share those comments, both the positive and the negative, so that we could keep our pulse on that feedback. And we did the same thing for a long time with our team members. We had used an anonymous platform so that they could vote on different things and they could also share comments without anyone knowing, you know, who was sharing it so that we could get a feel for how they were feeling and where morale was. And that was the biggest driver of a lot of our brand initiatives, especially at the very beginning of a rebrand, because you need your employees engaged and bought in to what you're doing as a bank. And the best way to do that is to build your strategic goals around what they feel like they should be. And you can derive that from a lot of their feedback. And the more you would bring in the voice of the customer in every discussion, even if it was unpopular, you know, the people around you start to understand that That's how I saw my role was to be the voice of the customer. People respect that and it helps to keep the customer in the line of sight for everyone. So I think a key to doing that in any business is to just make sure that someone on your leadership team is going to represent the voice of the customer and that it's important to know that making a decision that's easier for you as a bank needs to also make sense for the customer. And if it doesn't make sense for the customer, but it makes your life easier, then there has to be another way. I mean, you shouldn't complicate your customer's life just to make your job easier. And that's not always an easy message to deliver, but it's certainly one that needs to be heard and pays off in the long run. You made some great points there, Shelley. And I want to pause just to reinforce a couple of those. You were talking about the power of stories and storytelling and how those can be shared in order to not only kind of find your your message, find your voice for the brand, but also the importance that your identity and morale inside the institution. Share a quick example here with a community bank client that I had uh, fairly recently. And for what had not been a common practice, but we got 
a cohort of branch managers together just to spend a few hours on that very thing. And these are people that are geographically dispersed. They don't get to spend much time together, but they're in very similar roles. And as preparation for that time together, we ask everyone to come with a favorite customer story and a favorite colleague story something that had happened internally that they thought was really cool and was indicative of the bank and its capabilities, but also its spirit. And it was a great dynamic, Shelley, that happened in that room and people were learning things that had existed only in some people's heads, right? In some tribes within the bank. And it was an energizing thing, which then kind of carried over into the messaging and the branding for the bank itself. And you mentioned earlier, you can speak to this as well, of how do you gather those those stories and those examples, and then how do you distribute them and reinforce them from internal communication? We did that face-to-face. Sometimes that's really difficult. You mentioned that there was an anonymous internal digital way of gathering comments and examples and stories that way too, and the importance of having someone who's at the point there, who's representing the voice of the customer, who's curating those stories and examples. If you could just expand on that a bit, because I, I, that's something that can so easily get lost. I think whether it's banks or, or other complex companies, there are likely hundreds of stories hiding beneath the surface. And that's so valuable. You don't want to lose those, right? Absolutely. And, you know, your point about branding and bringing your team members together, when we were looking at rebranding what was then First Federal, and, you know, not only were we needing a design and a name and all of the details that go with it, but we really wanted to, and it was very important to me to capture the spirit of I mean, what I'll still call, you know, one of the most amazing teams in banking, you know, First Federal had not had the strongest history as of late, but they had had a long history before that. And so these people all had individual stories and had gone through so much and had been a part of this institution for years. And then all of a sudden it was in trouble. And here's all these new people and they're wanting to change things. And we wanted to be very clear that while we did want and need to change things, we needed to change it with them and for them so that it would have a strong and better future. And so what the effort you described is exactly what we did. We did internal focus groups and appreciation inquiries into what they liked about their jobs and what kind of people they were. What kind of people did First Federal and Bear State attract? And it was fascinating to discover the personality traits that a lot of us had in common and the values that we all shared, which then in turn became the Bear State brand. So we didn't build Bear State's brand, you know, from scratch. It was already built. We just articulated it and put a logo with it and went from there. And in doing that, a big piece of of what I was charged with is how can how can we be held accountable as a leadership team to whether or not this branding effort was successful? And that's where those platforms came into play. So we looked outside of the banking industry, we looked into some retail platforms 
that some companies use to measure satisfaction internally and externally and what are some of the most important metrics in that. And from a board reporting standpoint, you know, I wanted to be able to articulate to my board quickly and easily if we were doing a good job with our customers and our employees. And so we went with Net Promoter Score and we put in the Tiny Pulse platform, which allows you to ask survey questions and have people respond internally. We used that for several months to gauge how people felt about the new name and the new feel, look and feel of the artwork and the new culture initiatives we were doing. We introduced the seven habits of highly effective bears, and which is the exact same thing as the seven habits of highly effective people. We just changed it a little bit. And so we were focusing a lot internally. And then we put a platform in place externally that we could survey and get comments on. And then we shared those reports regionally with everyone, as well as with our leadership. We also put in an internal rewards platform that it's called You Earned It, but it's basically, it's an internal social network. So our team members were able to reward each other for those customer stories that happened and they were able to share that pride and those good feelings with their counterparts that maybe weren't on the front line, but helped that success happen. You know, banks, just like a lot of organizations, have natural silos form. And there's always this friction between the nerve center, the operation center of the back, which are these amazing people who are making everything run smoothly. But then you've got your frontline people who are dealing with customers and having to change and be flexible on the fly as different situations come in. And sometimes the friction between the two of them can cause culture issues. And what our rewards platform did was it allowed them to see each other, to get to know each other amongst different geographies and in different job roles. And when a customer success story involved several team members, as they usually do, you were able to publicly share those kudos and give rewards points back and forth. So then if you weren't involved in that particular interaction, you could still go see it and read about it basically on a Facebook-like platform on our internet. And so it, it really drove a lot of internal engagement for our team members. And it taught me a lot as a leader in that these stories are important to share, but often we don't feel like we have the time to share them. But there's the technology out there to make sure that your teams can learn from what each other are doing. That's really good. And those practices, those management habits that you're talking about, Shelley, are based on some really sound principles about how our brains work, the power of stories and vivid examples for us, and also power of social proof when you're looking around and able to see what other colleagues in different locations and in different roles are doing. And I think oftentimes there is, unfortunately, this distinction that executives and leaders make between the, the so-called customer-facing colleagues that they have or the, kind of the front office versus the back office. And when it comes to it, it might sound a little simple and trite, but it actually is very true that everyone inside the bank, everyone inside the company is an ambassador, is a potential messenger 
whether what you're trying to do is grow deposits or if you're trying to recruit and retain people inside the business. And so there were a lot of good things that were happening in that initiative that tied a lot of those points together. And I hope we uh, just all take note of that. I thought we might, in our time remaining, Shelley, is to touch on just a couple of other things as they're applied in the banking business. One is this role of innovation and digital, and then we can talk a little bit about how branches and that face-to-face contact applies going forward and how those pieces work together. It's interesting because your role in looking at retail, and you think, as you were just speaking about, learning some things from other industries. And we talk about a lot of people who are in professional services or in some sort of retail component with their business of the Amazon effect and basically how just the role of speed and expectations and transparency, it's affecting all sorts of retail oriented or service businesses. So just looking at that in terms of how banks who are trying to stay ahead of this digital game and trying to, to innovate in terms of their processes internally and how they're communicating with their customers, where it's, I know there's a big issue of the digital transformation of the banking world, but where are you seeing the most immediate applications for the banks that are using digital well? I think a lot of banks are kind of starting with the marketing element. You know, banks for a long time avoided marketing digitally. You know, people were a little bit afraid of it. Again, with the Amazon effect, as you mentioned, Everyone communicates electronically now. It's expected. Banks are a little bit, in some cases, behind that curve. If you're a community bank and you're kind of just tipping your toe into the digital area, you know, you're probably starting with some of that marketing and outbound communication. From an experience standpoint, I think is where everybody wants to get. Like, you know, there's a one of the Covey habits is, you know, begin with the end in mind. I think. The end in mind for a lot of banks is to have a fully integrated digital experience that you can transition, you know, between digital forms or chats, and you can also go in and out of a branch and you basically, you don't lose your place, right? That's what Amazon has kind of taught all of us to do. You find what you want when you want it and purchase it or get information about it within a click. And I think banks are all trying to go that route. And depending on where your technology infrastructure is and what your strategic emphasis is for your growth goals, where you're starting. I know I've seen a lot of banks starting with the digital account opening process. So let's start with getting either a deposit account open online or some form of loan application online and then kind of try to build it out from there. If your bankers, if your team members don't understand the purpose behind your digital strategy, they may not buy into it or help it at all because they're naturally going to be afraid that they're cannibalizing their own customers walking in the door. So you have to be very clear with a lot of your team members that this is a different market and that this is not, we're not doing this to replace every single branch or the need for the human connection. It's to enhance it. And the benefit comes with the blend of the two. 
not one over the other. And a lot of times I've seen people skip that step. And then you kind of wonder why people aren't using the digital online app. But if there's a glitch or two at the beginning and they come in the branch, your team members aren't going to encourage them to go back through those digital channels because they have no reason to. And so making sure that the front line is educated enough to understand where you're going from a digital strategic standpoint. Because while customers have been and employees have been accustomed to mobile banking and online banking, that's really just viewing and seeing their information. It's very little interacting with it up to this point other than you know, paying bills and some of the standard features. But when you move into account opening, this is traditionally activity that's done in branch. And your employees are savvy. They know that if you're moving things I do in the branch to an online channel, what would the purpose of that be? And if you don't share the purpose of that, they will create one and it will spread whether you like it or not. So because that's human nature, you know, your brain gives you that dopamine hit for finishing a story, whether or not it's correct or not is not what it's worried about. You finish a story in your mind of, okay, well, this is why my bank must be doing that. I need to self-protect. And so you certainly have to make sure that your team members understand the importance of digital to the future of your institution and how it will help them grow and how and that also means you as an institution and as a leader have to have a plan for how it's going to help them grow and how you're going to help train them on the new technology so that they complement it and they understand it and they can help customers with it. Shelley, I want to congratulate you because we talk a lot about the science behind messaging and the customer conversation and you brought dopamine into the conversation before <laughs> I even did. And, you know, it's really important, I think, from both a business model standpoint and those day-to-day -day activities of tying some of that together as a final question here. And it has to do with, as you said, bringing things together between the digital world and the physical face-to-face -face customer contact world. And you think of the ubiquitous bank branch. There are different strategies that different banks are having with their branch locations. A number of banks I've seen are renovating and they're changing the look and feel, the experience of what it's like to visit a branch. I think nationally, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think the trend is fewer branches, more branch closings than openings. Still some big banks, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, have made plans to open hundreds of new branches. So there are different ways of looking at it. I think on net basis that banks will be having fewer face-to-face -face points of contact with their customers through branches. But as you mentioned, sometimes it may be people coming in and they're kind of troubleshooting a little bit and they were trying to do things digitally and they had a question or it didn't seem to work or they have anxiety about that. At the same time, we're expecting our frontline employees in the branches to help with deposit growth, with cross-selling activities. So there's a lot of pressure being put here on having very high quality customer interactions, even though we might have fewer of them. So how are you seeing that play out across the country? 
Sure. And there are lots of branches. There are lots of banks that are closing and optimizing branches. And as you mentioned, there are also a lot more building them now. So I think it just goes to speak that different banks are utilizing different strategies. One of the things I think they all have in common, though, is that the role of the branches is changing and those interactions are becoming more complex and high touch that happen in a physical branch environment. I've seen lots of branches that are changing kind of the internal and external design of what a branch looks like, mainly to change how it feels, right? I mean, your traditional bank, if you walk in and there's, you know, this big empty corridor and it's typically kind of dark and you have to wait in a line. I mean, all that's been changing for years. Yeah, there are chairs and sofas in the middle and you're not sure kind of where to check in if you're not going to the teller line. It's all a bit confusing, right? Right. You know, we've kind of all individually redesigned what we think our branches should look like, but there's not a new like global look and feel like you're exactly right. So customers aren't sure what to do when they walk in, which again, changes the role of your frontline employees. We have consistently within the banking industry put more and more responsibility on our frontline team members. They're the frontline of defense against fraud, for sure. And there's a lot of details and rules that go into being that frontline against fraud, but we also want them to be the faces of our brand. So we want them to make you feel warm and friendly and to know who you are and to be able to call you by name and to be able to help you with whatever financial problem that you're coming into the bank with, which a lot of times now isn't as simple as, you know, has a check cleared or what's my balance? There's digital components to what they're coming in for. So you kind of have to know a knowledge of smartphones or computer systems or also more product knowledge. You can't just know about checking accounts anymore because you're going to need to talk to them about additional mobile services or treasury services. So we have consistently put a lot more pressure on our front line. And it amazes me today to go to a teller line and listen to the interactions and how much more social finesse that's required now from our frontline in-branch employees than was 15 years ago. When I was going through college and and working the teller line, I mean, I cashed checks and took deposits. That was about the extent of, you know, what I was doing when I was on the front line. And that is not in any way, shape or form the case now. And each bank is kind of trying to build and craft that experience differently. And it's becoming a differentiator between smaller banks and large banks, because, you know, a lot of the smaller banks, you know, you can't invest the dollar amount in technology that a lot of your big banks can. So you need to differentiate based on brand and customer experience. So everyone's doing it differently. And it's a difficult balance to strike, but it's certainly one that everyone's trying to find their own sweet spot. And I think that it does present a big challenge in the talent in the human resource category, because you are looking for, you know, people with social skills that can 
make people feel welcome in your branch, but that can also determine within the same conversation and without alarming the customer, if the activity that they're going to be doing at your bank is illegal. And I mean, that is a very different conversation, right? I mean, (laughs) from greeting someone and asking how their kids are to let's sit down and open an account. Now I need to dig a little bit further into what you're doing with this money is asking a lot of a person socially. And that doesn't even touch the technical piece of that, where what kind of mobile phone do you have? And are you going to be coming to the branch often? Or, you know, so there's a lot of detailed and nuance involved in these in-branch conversations. And so, you know, part of the reason I think it's beneficial for the branches to be smaller and more well-designed is because there are, it's harder to find those people who can do that. So, you know, again, the branch has always been, and I think will remain for a a lot longer, a central part of the community bank's infrastructure, because the way that you deal with money is emotional. And regardless of your tech savviness, when you panic about your money, you're going to want to go see a person. And, you know, we've got to capture the right people and the right branches to immediately, you know, help people when they come into the branch, because the people that are coming into the branch five and 10 years from now, it's a significantly more complicated issue than needing to make a deposit. If banking was boring before at any point in the past, it isn't anymore. Absolutely. (laughs) Shelly Lofton, you have made this more fun, simple, and helpful for us. It's been a great conversation. How can people follow you and see what's interesting and innovative in the American banking world? Thank you. And I am on LinkedIn. You can find me under Shelly Lofton. And and Twitter, that's my handle as well. It's very creative um, at Shelly Lofton. And you can also follow the American Bankers Association on all of those social networks. Also, ababankmarketing.com is a great content site where we share a lot of marketing and individual banking stories from our banks across the country. We also have ABA Banking Journal podcast that's hosted by Evan Sparks and gives you a great glimpse into what banks around the country are doing and various issues they're facing if you're interested on on keeping your pulse on some of these key banking issues. You've given me yet another podcast that I need to to check out and and probably subscribe to. Absolutely. (laughs) Shelly, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. We're generating a lot of momentum here on the podcast. We want to keep things going. If you haven't done so yet, then please tap subscribe on your way out. Your five-star rating will make it easier for other professionals to find us and join us as well. I can recommend another free weekly resource too, the Message Manager Memo. That's a brief weekly email with practical tips and examples. It's a one-minute read on average, and you'll actually enjoy seeing it in your inbox. It takes about 10 seconds or so to sign up on my website, jimcar.com, K-A-R-R-H. And I'd be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jim Carr. Happy to talk directly. You might have some suggestions for the podcast or would like to bounce a messaging idea. Perhaps your organization or company needs to sharpen its message and equip more people with the tools and confidence to share that message widely and consistently. 
Perhaps you're part of an association or group that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. I do a number of programs, all the way from keynotes to workshops to panel discussions. We always try to tailor the message according to what the organization needs, the starting point, what's on people's minds. You can email me directly at jim at jimcard.com. We can set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My mobile number is also on the website. We try to keep this very simple. Three steps, no pressure. You and I would have a phone or Zoom conversation for a few minutes, assess fit, what it is you're trying to accomplish, and whether improved messaging can help you get there. If so, then we can begin to put together a plan. As always, I appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your world know about what it is that you do and how valuable it can be. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.